Welcome back. This is the third episode of Monsters Walk With Us. And this week, my guest is a dear friend of mine, Fernando. Fern, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody a little bit about how we know each other? Well, we met in high school, but I would say that we didn't really connect until maybe a couple of years later when we were both in college going to separate schools. And we've been in constant contact ever since. (laughs) Pretty much. This week's case is, again, heavy. I'm going to put out a content warning for medical malpractice, rape, child sexual abuse. And in this case, there is a good, healthy heaping of victim blaming 90s style. So those are some of the things we're going to be covering today. I also want to talk a little bit about how I know this case and how it came on my radar. It's one of my older true crime cases that has stayed in the back of my brain. And I heard about this case around the same time that you and I met. It was in high school. I had this criminal justice class on Friday mornings with Mr. Truncali. And the quiz every Friday was we would watch an episode of Forensic Files and then answer like five very easy questions about it. Shout out to those teachers. Like, wow. you're the real ones. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> the first question was like, what's the name of the episode? Okay. <laughs> Wow. So that's where I really started feeding my true crime habit. And this case, I remember watching by myself at like the tender age of 15 or 16 at like 11 o'clock at night. And it's dark. So just go ahead and prepare yourself. Okay. Will do. I'm going to give some background on the area where this took place because it was in Canada in Kipling, Saskatchewan. I practiced a lot. I hope I said that right. And Kipling is the Guinness World Record biggest red paperclip. It is 15 feet tall and it weighs 3,000 pounds. Here is the story of the red paperclip, as told from the town of Kipling website. (laughs) On July 12, 2005, while living in Montreal, Kyle McDonald launched an unlikely sequence of online trades, which would earn both him and Kipling places in the Guinness Book of World Records. Starting with a single red paperclip, this man began trading up. So he traded the paperclip for a fish-shaped pen. He traded the pen for a doorknob. He traded the doorknob for a camp stove. Then he swapped for a generator. And then he swapped for a keg. I think it was a keg party. He also got a snowmobile. There was an adventure snowmobile trip in British Columbia. They got a cube van. There was a recording contract a year's condo rental in Phoenix, Arizona, and then for a day with Alice Cooper. Next, he arranged for a double switch with actor-director Corbin Burnson, who played the dad on Psych, if you ever saw that TV show. I couldn't find any other to-be-known-for roles, but Psycho's out there, you, you know what I'm talking about. Corbin Burnson is an avid collector, so he agrees to take a Kiss snow globe for a role in a movie. The movie role gets offered online, and this guy from Kipling, Burt Roach, proposes, let's make a deal. After negotiation, the town of Kipling traded a house for the movie role. And so the final trade was made on July 12, 2006, one year to the day after it had begun with Kyle McDonald. And the house itself is now most often referred to as the Red Paperclip House. And the paperclip stands in front of the house. Kipling is a very small town vibe. There's little to no crime. It's a big farming community. And there are actually more animals there than humans. 
So everybody knows everybody, kind of no private business situation, it seems like. Right. Typically, there are only five to six sexual assaults per year. Halloween night, 1992, 23-year-old Candace Candy Fonagy is at work at the local gas station. Her boyfriend comes to visit and they get into an argument. Candy decides to go visit a friend at the Kipling Memorial Union Hospital. And when she gets there, she's still pretty upset. She describes it as she was borderline hysterical. Her friend isn't there. One of the nurses says, you should probably see a doctor. And so Candy goes to an exam room and waits for a doctor to come. Candy's own doctor is working that night, Dr. John Schneeberger, who had actually delivered Candy's daughter. Candy says she wasn't really still hysterical at this point. She was calming down, but she was still very upset with her boyfriend. Dr. John says, hey, you should probably have some sedatives. Candy thinks I'm going to get a prescription. I'm going to get some muscle relaxers. And she says, okay, only within moments to find out that Dr. John is about to give her a shot instead. Immediately, as soon as she gets the shot, her body goes completely numb. She describes being trapped inside her body with no muscle control, which is a fucking nightmare. Yeah. So like paralyzed, but fully aware. Yes. Wow. She says, quote, I tried to scream as I was falling over, but nothing would come out except this weird croaking noise. Horrifying. Absolutely. It's like my heart is like pounding. <laughs> Ugh. She's obviously terrified and she has no idea what's happening. She believes that she was being raped. She describes the sensation as the feeling of a dentist giving you a shot to freeze your gums. So you cannot feel any pain, but you feel the pressure. Wow. Candy wakes up alone in the exam room and immediately feels something is not right. She has this moment of genius and clarity and grabs an airtight bag from the exam room and shoves her underwear in there. Okay. She is still very dizzy and disoriented. And the nurses basically force her to stay the night. She didn't talk with any of the nurses about her suspicions. Obviously, she's still out of it. She doesn't fully know what's going on, but she knows something's wrong. She decides to confront Dr. John the following morning. And Candy said to him, what the hell was that drug that you gave me last night? This dickhole responds Why? Did it give you some wild dreams? Wow. Oh, I I don't even know what to say to that. TikTok, gaslight o'clock. Like what? Jesus Christ. Candy says she knew then and there, I'm going to have a hell of a fight on my hands because this motherfucker's already trying to cover it up. She leaves the hospital and goes right to her parents. And her parents said the minute they saw her, they knew something just terrible had happened. Candy heads to Regina about two hours away to a rape clinic. She has a sexual assault exam and they find semen on her underwear, her jeans, and in a vaginal swab. Candy said her motivation for going to the rape clinic is because she was not even sure if the rape had occurred 
or if her mind was playing tricks on her, which is like the definition of gaslighting. Right. Yeah. He put that idea in her head and he knew full and well how that drug worked. And he was like, you know, if I just even plant the seed in her head, she'll question it, you know, hoping that the opposite would happen. And she would be like, oh, I don't want to cause a commotion about this and accuse what what I, I would assume to be a respected member of that community, you know, and throw him under the bus, you know, you got it in one. But let me tell you something. Dr. Dickhole got the wrong bitch. Absolutely. Candy did not come to fuck mm-hmm. around. And let me tell you about it. The blood test that Candy got at the rape clinic also shows Versed in Candy's blood. Versed is a pre-surgery anesthetic to induce body numbness. Candy formally accuses Dr. John of rape, is immediately doubted by the entire community. Dr. Dickhole is a pillar of the community, has no prior accusations. Mm -hmm. Many of Candy's neighbors start talking shit, saying Candy must be romantically interested in Dr. John and therefore is jealous of his marriage. Mm. Others are saying she just wanted some money because she was a single mom. But if she wanted money, she would have blackmailed him. She wouldn't have gone right out and you know, accused him of rape, you know, she would have pulled him aside, I assume, and been like, hey, I know what you did. And if you don't want me to go to the police, then pay off. Going to the Mounties does nothing to get her money. And this is just a classic, let's blame the victim and let's just deny that this could happen. Pretty much everybody believes 0% chance Dr. John could ever, would ever rape someone. And because Candy didn't say anything to the nurses, people just took that as more evidence that she's lying. Dr. John agrees to take a DNA test. The blood drawn from Dr. John does not match the semen found on Candy's clothing and body. Candy is shocked. And she tells the lab that's impossible. And seven years go by before Candy learns the truth. Most people in the community just want to ignore it and pretend it never happened, and just put the whole thing away. But Candy, rightfully, is not going to let it go. She continues to put more and more pressures on the Mounties because she believes that the bodily fluid evidence, it had to have been tampered with because there's no other explanation for her. Yeah, either that or the blood drawn from him wasn't his blood. Correct. The rape occurs on Halloween night, 1992, And in August 1993, Dr. John agrees to get a second blood test. Now, you do this shit for a living. Mm -hmm. Can you explain how blood is drawn? Typically from what we call the AC region, the antecubital region, the inside of your elbow, basically. Tourniquet is applied, arm is sterilized, and then needle is inserted into the vein. It's pretty simple. So this blood draw is performed by an RN and there are Mounties in the room and the Mounties take the samples directly to the lab for testing. Again, the DNA does not match. Candy immediately is like, this is bullshit. This is freaky. Everyone in the town though thinks, okay, now Dr. John has been fully redeemed. Right. The other thing that we have to keep in mind is that DNA was very new at this time. 
This is the second draw was in 93. Yes. And so DNA was widely accepted at this point as the most perfect evidence because the DNA does not lie. Candy's parents said that they knew something was wrong. And I have to give the biggest shout out to them because they believed Candy every step of the way. Dr. John starts defending himself and says that Verse said can actually explain this situation totally. Why? Because this fucker says that Verse said causes, quote, erotic hallucinations. Okay. Well. <laughs> I looked up Verse said. Weirdly, one of the warnings is not to take this if you are allergic to cherries. Okay. Fun fact about I Versed. know there's, there's certain medications you can't take with grapefruit, so. I can't get the flu shot because egg. And I'm allergic to egg. And one time I got it and she didn't tell me until it was in my arm. Oh, you were allergic to egg as she's pushing down the plunger? Yes. (laughs) I was fine. Can I offer you an egg in this trying time? Internally. (laughs) (laughs) Verse said, when taken orally, most commonly will cause agitation for one to 10% of people who take it. But when administered in a shot, very rarely, less than 0.01%, it can cause aggression, agitation, anger, hallucinations, hostility, confusion, confusional state, and euphoric mood slash euphoria. Quickly want to go ahead and note that the word erotic is nowhere in there. No, it's not. The Mounties say, okay, sure, that makes sense. But what about the semen, sis? Candy has told them that she had not had sex for weeks before the rape. The Mounties decide we're closing the case. They defend this by saying, hey, we did the DNA test and that's that. Bye. Candy's mom calls out the town of Kipling in the Forensic Files episode and basically just shames them for all being victim blaming, rape apologists, pieces of shit who just wanted to ignore what happened? Just blissfully bleed. ignore. Yep. So Candy decides to hire a private investigator who broke into Dr. John's car. He finds hair in the car, but there is no root tip, which sucks because that's the part of hair that contains the DNA. He also finds a chapstick and decides, I'm just going to grab that. Candy pays out of pocket for DNA testing from the lip balm. The lip balm contains a lot of epithelial cells, which are very rich in DNA. And when they complete the testing, Candy is vindicated. It matches Dr. John. Obviously, she's not surprised, but she's like, finally, I finally have proof. But there are some issues. The first being chain of command, because Candy's private investigator broke the law to get this chapstick. So there's no way that they can definitively verify that the chapstick was Dr. John's and was only used by him because it was just in his car. So Candy can't use the DNA results in Canadian court, but it does raise the question, why would Dr. John's lip DNA be different than Dr. John's blood DNA? Because that's not a thing, right? Or is it? Ah, okay. I know where this is going. (laughs) Okay. Because Candy is a thousand percent bad bitch all day, she says, you know what? I've had it officially, and I'm filing a civil suit against this bastard. At the hearing, Candy is seated directly across from Dr. John's wife. Candy said the eye daggers were coming towards her, 
And she felt like her internal narrative is like, you're ruining my life. By the way, blame your rapist husband, idiot. Yeah. Oh, God. But, you know, she's just following suit of all the other townspeople and being ignorant as fuck. Candy, during this, has to just sit there and think, you are so dumb. You are really dumb for real because your husband raping everybody out here in Kipling. Candy said, Dr. John, you don't have to confess because with the DNA, we're going to come and find you. So run and tell that, homeboy. While the civil suit is on, Dr. John is pressed as fuck because now the focus is on him again. He agrees to take a voluntary third DNA test on November 20th, 1996. This time, the test is happening at the forensics lab with Mounties in the room and it's recorded the whole time. Dr. John is just chipper, friendly, everybody's buddy. He's just there to do a favor and clear up this inconvenience because obviously Candy's a liar. The lab tech, Gene Roney, wants to take blood from his finger, but Dr. John explains that he has a disease where his hands would bruise badly if they did that. Uh, Okay. I've never heard of that. Weird, right? If you're going to bruise, you'd pretty much be anywhere on your body easily, not just your fingers, boy, I could be wrong. Gene says the finger prick is typically what they do because for this, they don't need a lot of blood. It's just a match with what they already have. Mm -hmm. Gene inserts the needle into his left arm, but nothing is coming out. And then Gene notices like the vein is bigger than usual, which is like a little strange, but she just keeps it moving. Mm -hmm. And then she says... She said she thinks the tube might be the problem. Something to do with the vacuum, which I was going to ask you to explain. And also, if you could just say briefly what you do, which is why you have all this knowledge. Well, I work as a phlebotomist, so I draw blood from people. Um, As far as the vacuum container goes, what happens is a, I guess, almost sort of a sheath is attached to the needle. And then when um, there's another needle inside of that sheath, when the tube is inserted, it actually, the vacuum inside the tube draws the blood inside. So if you were to, say, pop open a tube, recap it, and then try to use it to draw blood, it wouldn't draw because there's air in the tube. It's no longer a vacuum. So she's like, I'm going to try another tube. And eventually she is able to extract a sample, but she's very confused. And there's video of this in the Forensic Files episode from the straw She says, it's a little strange because, quote, the blood doesn't look really kind of fresh. I don't know. Gene also finds that the sample is too degraded for DNA testing. And it's voluntary. So they can't make him come back in and do it because at this point, it's just a civil case that he's trying to clear his name. There's no criminal charges. The Mounties tell Candy and she straight up and down is out of any fucks to give for the Mounties. She says, quote, oh my God, that's bullshit. This is our last chance to get blood from him and you screwed it up again. I mean, I I completely understand her anger. Applause, Candy. Yeah. Yeah. Dean Sinclair, the senior Crown prosecutor, says that they knew Dr. John was the only one with the opportunity to rape Candy, but they believed that the DNA was essentially foolproof. Candy says that the Canadian justice system should be called the Canadian criminal system because the criminals have all the rights. April 25th, 1997, Mounties get new information from Dr. John's teenage stepdaughter. Oh. 
She comes forward to say that for about a year, Dr. John has been sexually assaulting her as well. She says that at night, he comes into her room and gives her injections. Dr. John's wife decides to search his home office and finds a lockbox full of condoms, Versed, and other paralytic drugs, and needles. She is briefly interviewed in the Forensic Files episode, and she says she blames herself because you should, bitch. Let's just believe victims and survivors the first time around and avoid future victims. When Candy finds this out, she screams, she's sobbing. She's just overwhelmed with all the emotions of the last seven years. And she said that it kind of hits her all at once because this whole time she's been fighting for the truth and for herself, but she also really wanted to make sure that this wasn't going to happen to anyone else. Yeah. So it's not purely a victory. Yeah. It's a little, it's a little hollow at this point. Yeah. Dr. John is arrested. And he has to now comply with yet another videotape DNA test. But this time they have a warrant for bodily substances. So they're going to collect it and they're going to collect it from wherever they feel like. All the fluids. They have a warrant for hair, saliva, and blood samples. This time, chipper Dr. Dickhole is gone and he's straight up sulking. He's all moody and depressed. He doesn't want to talk or be helpful anymore. He's no longer there to help out his buddies, the Mounties, who have just let him go every other time. And so they draw the blood from his finger. Shock and surprise. All three DNA samples match the DNA that Candy had first provided seven years ago. Candy said that she had even offered to go punch Dr. John in the face to get the fresh blood to test it because she (laughs) was him and she just couldn't prove it. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Candy's family, hugely relieved, very happy. And now there's no question that pretty much everyone in Kipling proved themselves to be pieces of shit. Come at me, Kipling. Nobody knows, though, how Dr. John beat the DNA test because there was nurses and Mounties who watched the needle Mm. puncture his skin and watched the blood be drawn. Nobody would find out until... Dr. John goes on the stand in his trial in November 1999. This asshole admits on the witness stand that he surgically inserted a plastic tube filled with the blood of one of his patients from the hospital into his arm. And in the first draw, that's why he was insistent on his left arm instead of his finger. In the footage of this draw, November 20th, 1996, you can see him carefully raising his shirt arm so that he wouldn't expose the surgical incision. They zoom and do a highlight on forensic files, and you can see the tube sticking out of his arm, which is, if you remember, Gene said the vein looks a little bit bigger than normal. and (laughs) Bigger in plastic. (laughs) I like would you fill a glow stick with blood and show it there. Oh, my God. I mean, sure. It was probably medical plastic tubing, but. No, like, I feel like I would know if I'm sticking a needle and you know sometimes yes flesh is a little bit more tough if it's scarred over but it never feels like plastic yeah you know but who who knows like they use the IV tubing is like softer right and you know what this is this is years ago it could have been different material yeah yeah people just didn't you know it hindsight's always 2020 Right. And how often are these lab techs like drawing the blood? I will say Jean is an RN. So that's probably why she was a little bit hipper to the blood not looking fresh because the blood in the tube was old and dark by the time they took that draw. So, of course, 
His defense is that Candy must have broken into his home, recovered a used condom, and used that semen to frame him for rape. That makes sense. Yep. Not. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) So, of course, he had to use his patient's blood to defend himself against this genius frame job that Candy's putting Mm. on. Because Candy did this B&E to get his used condom out of the trash. Like, what the hell, dude? Candy says that she got up on the stand and kicked that lawyer's ass. And she laughs because he's supposed to be the best defense lawyer in Southern Saskatchewan. And she destroyed him. She, she annihilated this dude. Candy was determined to get justice. And unfortunately, seven years had to pass before she would get it. But... Dr. John is found guilty of drugging and raping Candy and for sexually assaulting his stepdaughter. I feel like this has happened in every case where I'm just like frustrated with the outcome. He is sentenced to only six years in prison. Wow. How do you, for both cases combined? Yes. And the stepdaughter, like, was she, I'm guessing she was a baby. She was a teenager. She was a teenager and he Mm -hmm. still only got six years for assaulting. Jesus. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you know, privilege. I mean, Candy's right that the the criminals have more rights than the victims, apparently. Apparently so. It really is just horrible that he got sentenced to less time than Candy just fought for the truth to come out. And eventually just had to wait for another victim. Oh, man. It's, it, you know, blow my mind right now. It's nuts. Like, his his uh, his rationale, like, for how the semen got there, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that is crazier or if inserting a plastic tube in your arm with someone else's blood. Like, they're both like, what's crazier? What he's saying or reality? Like, I can't. <laughs> Holy shit. Just can't even, right? Yeah, can't. No. There is this awesome moment while Candy is being interviewed for forensic files. Cameras are rolling and Candy gets a phone call. And this phone call is to tell Candy that Dr. John's parole has been denied. It's such an awesome moment. Like she's absolutely beaming on the phone with them. And it's just such an awesome fuck you to him that it happened while she's bringing more attention to this case and getting to use her voice and talk about her experience with the Mounties fucking everything up. And she says, quote, woohoo, I won again. I was so worried that he was going to get out and that everyone would fall for his lies and his bullshit, but they did it. They're smarter than the rest. Candy girl. Candy girl. The strength just the tenacity after the per- being- I was going to say the persistence the fact that she even initially she decided to speak up and drive to the rape clinic you know that alone speaks volumes you know her putting her own time and money and I'm sure sacrificing personal aspects of her life I feel like it wasn't it really wasn't about her per se it was about him but also any potential future victims the pursuit of true justice right that Mm -hmm. you can stop this from happening to someone else takes a lot for a victim or survivor to even talk about what's happened Mm -hmm. let alone immediately confront your attacker go get an exam stick to it and really you said the amount of emotional and financial investment 
that she had to put into this when nobody else was supporting her besides her family, which thank God. And she's a single mom. She's raising a kid through all this. Just women. You know what I mean? Yeah. Wow. In 2004, Dr. John is deported from Canada back to South Africa, not because of the attacks. In 2004, Dr. John is deported from Canada back to South Africa, not for these sexual attacks, but because he had lied on his citizenship application when he came to Canada in 1987. He became a citizen in 1993 and he lied on his paperwork. So citizenship and immigration officials said, you know what? You've served two thirds of your six year sentence. We know you wanted to stay in Canada. Get fucked. You're coming back here. You're out early. Bye. (laughs) Bye, Bye. bitch. (laughs) And that is the perseverance of candy to get justice. Thank you so much for recording. This was really fun. When you were talking about the DNA being different, I thought you were going in a different direction. I thought you were going to talk about people who are uh, chimeras, genetically. Yes, I knew you thought that. I saw it on your face. That's what I thought you meant. And I was like, oh, yo, like I fucking like, I remember doing like a huge project on this in school. You know what's funny? I remember that too, because I helped you with that project. Yes. (laughs) Very good work. Thank you. (laughs) Hey there, listeners. It's Mary. I just wanted to say thank you so much for tuning in. And we do have an email address set up if you'd like to suggest a case or give us any feedback. The email address that you can reach us at is hidden period monsters period walk at gmail.com. Again, thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next week. Hi friends. If you like the podcast, I would love if you would go ahead and leave me a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It's the only place that I can actually get ratings and get reviews and get ranked. Please check us out on Instagram at monsters walk with us all one word. And I'd love if you could send us an email and tell me where you're listening from, maybe suggest a case. The email address is hidden period monsters period walk at gmail.com. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.